episode 68 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 22nd of July, 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Good evening. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So we're back with a full house, which is good, and we're going to be talking about some controversial stuff later, but uh, let's start with the usual uncontroversial KDE news. Happy birthday, KDE. And we won't sing it, because... Was it Warner might come break our legs or whatever it is? No, I think it's free now, but... Oh, that's what they want you to think, so they come around and break your legs. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's a cool video that's been linked. Um, It's KD Plasma 5 has been five years old now at this point, which disturbed me no end because I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it should be five years ago. But there's a cool video there where they kind of walk through every version from 5.0 all the way up to current. And uh, it's quite fun to see how it's kind of changed, but also not changed all the way through. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, consistency in a world gone mad. Was it a cool video with a K? I <laughs> believe there may have been a cool with a K in there at some point, yes. <laughs> there was definitely a cake with a K at the start and the end. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Strong and stable. Exactly. <laughs> plasma means plasma. <laughs> Oh dear. Right, what other KDA bollocks have you got for us? Uh, There's also a refresh of the wiki, which uh, the user base wiki anyway, um, which is quite cool because that wiki is the one that pretty much anybody who uh, wants to can give it a contribution to. Like if you happen to be using application, notice that there's no link in there. You could write a a spiel about the the applications and stuff. So it's, it's kind of a open for anybody wiki. It's not like the tech base or the developer, uh, which is more the developer sort of one. And uh, they've that got a whole new theming refresh and an upgrade of the back end uh, media wiki as well, which is, I'm amazed it was actually media wiki because it doesn't look like the usual crappy sunflower in the top left corner media wiki default theme that everybody seems to have. Um, so it, it looks really decent. It adapts to your dark theme if you happen to have one as well, apparently. Uh, I don't, so I didn't know that. And I, I was wondering if it had a background color, Joe. Maybe you could check. I know that's very important. I'll get right on that. <laughs> um, the other thing that's come out I thought was quite interesting was KD Connect now is running on the Mac. So for those folk who have a apple computer but have a android phone they can now connect to it apparently the mac had some sort of utility that did a similar type of thing but um now you can do it on your android phone as well which is quite cool i mean yeah we want to rope people in and get them interested in open source even if they are wrong to start off with so i think it's a a good move there i think I can confirm that the kde user base has specified a background color of white well done thank god I haven't followed the development of KDE Connect for quite a while now, but one of the problems they were having was that uh, mobile phone manufacturers were encrypting their messages, and that stopped KDE Connect being able to read and then share the messages onto the desktop. I don't know if they've got that solved, but I I hope they have. That would be be good news. Hmm. Okay, I don't know, because I I use Lineage, so obviously I've dealt with it that way. But, yeah, no, it's an interesting question, all right. Um, Right, so... Uh, what about this Alba Synchrotron? This is obviously some sort of spoof article powered by Plasma. It is not a spoof article. It's a real, real thing. It's uh, somewhere in Catalonia, uh, near Barcelona, apparently. It's a, a Synchrotron, which I had to look up what it meant. Apparently, it's the release of photons when you bend light. Um, but anyway, they run Debian 9 and Plasma on the desktop there. Um, and they got involved with a lot of the guys there, uh, with 
the FSFE was doing the public money, public code, and it just seemed to all make sense for them. So they contribute to a lot of open source stuff. Um, they have their own Synchrotron controlling software they've written themselves. So anybody has one of those in their shed, you can use that. Does this thing run on, on Obtanium by any chance? <laughs> I don't know, Joe. It was all too highfalutin for me, but uh, I just thought it was interesting. I think we need more projects that use open stuff and let us all know about it. So, Absolutely. All right, what about this grant for Blender, a mega grant from Epic? Yes, so Epic of Fortnite fame, probably sitting on big piles of money, have uh, awarded the Blender Foundation something like 1.2 million, which is you know a significant um, gift to the Blender Foundation. From memory, I think it's going to be kind of leaked into their accounts over the next few years rather than as one big lump sum and it probably represents a tiny drop in epic's huge money reserves but i mean for anyone into gaming or wanting to get into gaming the actual 3d modeling platform is fundamental and also extremely expensive on the proprietary route if you if you use soft image or anything like that and so Blender becoming more competitive with those proprietary apps is a huge opportunity for people who want to get into gaming. And improving, making Blender closer to those apps as well is going to mean a win-win situation, even with Fortnite money. Yeah, that is a serious injection of money, even if it is over a long period of time. And Blender, my understanding is it's already up there with the proprietary solutions. And it is actually used by some studios and stuff. So to make it even better... Uh, would be cool. I mean, I have opened it a few times and just gone, what the fuck, just no clue how to do anything in it. But people who do know uh, seem to like it. And um, I actually met up with Campbell Barton, who's one of the devs of uh, Blender, a few months ago, and uh, had a cool time with him and actually said that we should have him on the show. And uh, so, yeah, if you're listening, Campbell, get in touch if not our email. And, uh, yeah, we should have him on the show to talk about this, I think. Send us your questions to ask him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. LateNightNates.com slash contact. It wasn't all good news, though. The CEO, Tim Sweeney, um, came out against some of the uh, trolls that populate certain areas of the Linux community. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, the Linux community said that he was trolling them. Yeah, the CEO of Epic, to be clear. Yeah, so he said, um, the real enemy of Linux are these trolls who try to overrun social media channels and make claims in bad faith and attempt to harass developers into compliance. And he, uh, that got posted to um, our Linux uh, on, on Reddit. Very reasonable people. Yeah, you can guess what they had to say about that. They, they proved his point time and time again. Yeah, I try and just avoid Reddit at all costs, really occasionally find myself there and go, oh, fuck, what am I doing? I need to close this tab and uh, go somewhere else. But he's kind of right, isn't he? That um, I, I don't know, is Linux any different from any other community? Well, see, the funny thing is, right, games communities in general are renowned for being trolly, for turning up outside journalists' house and telling them how they're going to do things to them, etc. So, I mean, I don't think he's kind of picking on the right group here. I mean... I would imagine Linux trolls are no different from gaming trolls or whatever. So I don't know. I think he's, he was just obviously hacked off that time. I think his his words are quite inflammatory as well. I mean, I don't imagine the toxic comments on Reddit are scaring good game developers away from creating Linux games. I reckon it's the relatively minuscule install base of people actually using it, you know, when 90% plus are using Windows. Um 
it's the same with any kind of nascent platform and you know we've talked about it a lot but he's chosen his words to kind of stir up some response maybe it's marketing isn't Fortnite not available for linux though is that what the whole thing was about i don't think it's officially available for linux i don't know if you can get it to run aren't there like anti-cheat things that don't work properly and stuff Mm. i don't know i know very little about games especially children's games like Fortnite. (laughs) Ooh, hang on all games are for children (laughs) troll the entire audience there why don't you buy another guitar? Oh man, I'm so tempted to, but it's so expensive. And it means driving a long way. But uh, yes, <laughs> I am actually looking to buy another guitar at the moment. So fuck's sake. <laughs> this one's different. It's a baritone. It's completely different. Anyway, um, let's talk about this Medium post that was floating around in the last week or so that basically says, don't buy an XPS 13. They're terrible. And this guy has a good story to tell, or a bad story, about how he bought an XPS 13, uh, used it for a while, and then started going out of the house with it and starting to suspend it, and then it wouldn't work, and Wi-Fi was dropping. And then he reached out to Dell and tried to get a replacement, and they said, well, no, you're outside the warranty period. Go fuck yourself. And he then broke this post. And it all seems very strange to me, because I've never heard that before at all. I mean, I've heard of people buying a Windows XPS 13 and having some problems with a wireless card and stuff when they try and run Linux on it. But if you buy the developer edition that comes with Ubuntu, then I've not heard any problems at all before this. So either something has changed or this geezer's full of shit. So I don't know. What do we think about this? Well, the machines that come from Dell with Ubuntu preloaded go through the CERT lab in uh, at Canonical, so that they, the hardware is tested. And they're testing things like Wi-Fi and does it suspend. So it, it strikes me as odd that a machine could have gone through that process and been tested and been QA'd and then made it to the market with these sort of significant problems. Um, there are a lot of things that could have changed. Maybe the um, maybe the Wi-Fi card changed between being QA'd and it hitting the market. Um, maybe there's a funny setup in his Wi-Fi. It could be, a, you know, a, a number of different things that, um, a number of variables here that could change. Um, and I don't know enough about his setup or this machine to be able to really comment, but it's, it strikes me as odd. Could it be faulty hardware? Like just something wasn't soldered properly or whatever. Something's gone slightly wrong with it. Oh, absolutely, could be. Um, I wouldn't like to comment one way or the other, but uh, yes, that sounds like a an, an avenue to explore. W- what I find odd, though, is that Dell told him that they're not interested after 30 days. Surely these machines have like a one-year warranty on them or something. And it sounds, based on what he said in his post, it sounds like it is broken, and so you would expect them to honour the warranty there. Also, Barton's always incredibly responsive to these kind of issues. I mean... Talking totally personally, I had one of the second generation XPS 13s and it actually the Wi-Fi didn't work on it. And I got in touch with Barton George, who had headed up Project Sputnik and made those things reality and very quickly got the Wi-Fi in whatever it was, the mini PCI card replaced. Um, But that was a problem. But basically the binary blobs that had shipped with the Ubuntu on the machine weren't going to work with the Windows only card that had been shipped. And I guess these things can happen with something like Dell. But yeah, it's very unclear from that post what the problem might actually be. And there is a problem and it is weird that Dell haven't responded as such. 
I also have one of those second generation laptops and I still use it and it still works brilliantly. And I had a guy come out to my house and replace the screen in it when it went a bit wonky. It was uh, two days over the end of the extended warranty I'd brought for it and they still came out and fixed it. So That's probably because you're in the EU and you get about 50 years of... Ah, good point. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want Jean-Claude Juncker to come commandoing in the the window at Dell and (laughs) machine gun everybody to death. Well, I'm not sure if this is going to put people off. I've kind of seen some people saying they were put off by it, but um, I don't know. I think the moral of the story is test your fucking machine when you get it, and if there's any problems with it, do an RMA as soon as possible. But I don't know. What do I know? Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL, and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them, in data centers all over the world with really fast network and really fast SSDs. And you can choose from one of the distros that they offer, like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS, or FreeBSD. Or you can use your own custom image. And you can take those distros and build them up exactly how you want. Remember, you've got complete root access to these. Or you can go for one of their one-click apps, like LAMP and LEMP stacks and WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month. And they scale all the way up to huge amounts of RAM and huge numbers of CPU cores. So you can deploy exactly how much you need for the application that you're using. If you need more storage, they've got block storage and object storage, which is really easy to attach to your droplet and just get going straight away. They have cloud firewalls, so you can block network traffic before it even gets to your VM. Amazing backups and a great Teams feature that allows multiple people to work on one droplet without having to share passwords. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $50 credit, and get started. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, F-Droid then, which we'll get back to later. But uh, first, the good news that they are working on reproducibility. They sure are. Uh, It looks pretty damn good. Um, So the problem being a lot of the toolkits that came out at a later date past supposedly Android 3 could be wrong by this, introduced new toolkits that um, broke a lot of the reproducibility they could do. Um, and I think, is it Gradle? Is that what it's called? I don't know, Java programming. I hate it. I hate Java. Let it die in hell. But anyway, um, they have been using Diffiscope from the reproducibility project. And they have been trying to iron out all things like hashes from build server IDs and things like that. Um to try and get things down. And we had a story, oh, it was a good while back, about the new pipe um, author having a bit of trouble trying to get his update into F-Droid quick enough because YouTube generally changed the API quite a bit. So he has to um, produce new versions of it. And this whole reproducibility will allow them to do that and kind of skip through the F-Droid process much quicker um, because everything will be signed and stuff. So... I think it's all good for everybody, this. Yeah, reproducibility, we mean reproducible builds whereby the same source code will guarantee to build the same binary. Because even um, with the same tool chain and everything, you might get slight differences in that binary and then the, the checksums won't check out. And then you don't know, is it full of malware or is it just because I've built it on a different machine or whatever. Yeah, timestamps. Yeah, yeah. I remember back in the day, Ike talking about timestamps being a big, big problem for that. Yeah. I didn't realize that F-Droid builds all of the binaries. 
that they distribute that is a hell of a fucking job isn't it yeah and he, like even some of the versions like the telegram version is not the same telegram version that everybody else has because um they're in the, if you look at the telegram source code you'll see things like using dns.google.com and all this type of stuff um you know for checkbacks and things like that uh and that doesn't exist in the telegram open source one they cut all that out and they use obviously different ips i'm not sure which ones they use but um so yeah, it, like even the same version, even though it might exist in two of the of the app stores, it, it's not the same version. They've they've actually put code changes in there to try and make it less um, dependent on the proprietary networks. It, it's fascinating reading about, it, isn't it? Because I there's only one person as well with access to that kind of build farm at Ftroid, which is incredible. Yeah, talk about bus factor. <laughs> <laughs> It's just remarkable. And yet, look at the scale of the project, how ambitious it is. Yeah, it's amazing, really. I didn't realize that the reason that Signal isn't in Ftroid is because Signal insists that they have to sign all the builds and therefore it kind of isn't compatible with how Ftroid does things. But if they could make it reproducible, then um, they would accept it into Ftroid. But uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. So, Will, do you care about reproducibility in Ubuntu. I know Debian is like trying to ramp it up as much as possible. Absolutely something we care about. Um, steps are being made and, and progress is being made towards making that reality all the time. Uh, we're not quite there yet, I don't think, but um, it's definitely something that we care about. Well, something you should definitely care about, because this is a very serious threat to the Linux desktop, is Evil Gnome, which is... Uh... Just leave it old. You shouldn't have said any more. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Joe. Gnome is evil. <laughs> no, Gnome might be evil, but evil Gnome is even worse. But um, yeah, so this is fairly rare malware for the uh, Linux desktop. And uh, we covered it on Linux Action News yesterday. And the question I had for Chris is, like, is this a one-off or is it the start of something new? Are we starting to matter enough for people to build malware for? our platform mm, yeah i think that's the interesting story behind this the, the fact that it exists is um unfortunate but the the fact that somebody went to the trouble of building it and targeting gnome specifically is the real interesting story here um one of the things they've always said about um linux security is that it's not a, it's not worth investing time into hacking because there are so few of them out there um is this evidence that um that that situation is changing i think it maybe it is it seems like this is very much supposed to be targeted malware as opposed to just sort of general windows malware or crypto miners or whatever this is developed probably specifically to target an individual like snowden or whatever but nevertheless it does mean that the linux desktop is being taken seriously by people who want to do bad shit which um it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword that isn't it See, I don't fully buy the Linux isn't important enough to uh, be targeted because if you think about every server in the vast majority on the internet is a Linux box and they do things like banking and credit card processing and things like that. And if it was as easy as they say it is, wouldn't there be as many, you know, comparatively looking at the amount of servers versus desktops in, say, Windows I mean, there's definitely not that many servers, obviously, but they're doing far more valuable things than, you know, your Mickey Mouse accounts that you're doing at home where you could own one of Sage's networks or something like that. I think it's the soft target here. If you're going after enterprise 
Linux servers, then it's going to be hard work, right? They're going to have firewalls and intrusion detection systems and all of that good stuff. It's going to be there. It's going to be maintained. And you would hope that somebody who knows what they're doing is in charge of it versus someone that just downloads a Linux distro that happens to run GNOME, sticks it on their desktop, and then um, you know does their day-to-day banking and has all their SSH keys and so on and so on. That's got to be a soft target, hasn't it? So it kind of makes sense to me that that is the, the way that they would go. Yeah, that's fair enough. So don't use GNOME. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, it hides itself as a GNOME extension, but I would imagine that it might, work or at least be adaptable to work on other desktops. But it also goes to show that GNOME is very much the mainstream Linux desktop now. It's on Ubuntu, it's on Fedora. And yeah, you can go for things like KDE Neon or Kubuntu or whatever, or even Zubuntu. But we are massively in the minority of Linux users because almost everyone is using GNOME. And some of the plasmids that I've downloaded for the plasma desktops actually feel already like malware. <laughs> <laughs> well, GNOME feels like malware to me, the way it slows my machine down. <laughs> One thread of power. I mean, that is the beauty of it, though. If they did get an antivirus for GNOME, specifically, it would only have one thread to look after anyway, so it'd be grand. <laughs> You'd never notice the impact on resources. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, well, let's end the news with um, sort of bad news-ish, and that is that G-Podder, the maintainer of that, is stepping down or looking to step down by the end of the year. And the good news is that he's looking for a replacement. He's looking to hand off the project, and he's doing it in a responsible way. He's not just abandoning it, running away. And so hopefully they'll get someone stepping up for this because it's not just the application. It's the back-end services where you can... um, search for podcasts and stuff. So I do hope that someone steps up for this. So speaking as someone who wrote their own shonky podcast getter and renamer of MP3 files, what exactly does gpodder.net do for you? Yeah, it's a GTK podcast client, essentially. And I think there's an element of um, of a library, of a storefront in there as well, isn't there? Yeah, and the gpodder catalog or index is searchable by other applications. Like it's in AntennaPod, for example. If you go to add new podcast, you can search iTunes or you can search gpodder. Now, the gpodder list is pretty out of date. Like Linux Outlaws are the, one of the main ones if you search for Linux, which they haven't put an episode out for years now. So it could do with updating, I think. I don't know. I don't know how you even submit stuff. I think we are on there. So someone must have submitted us at some point. Yeah, it does look quite out of date although it's such a valuable resource i mean there are 90 people subscribed to the linux, the linux voice podcast yeah that's long dead so um yeah obviously out of date so yeah do step up do maintain it it needs someone let's hope it doesn't die on to a bit of admin then and thank you everyone for supporting us on paypal and patreon it's very much appreciated and uh, remember that if you pay five dollars a month on patreon you can get an ad free rss feed if you want to find out more about that and other ways to support us, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And another quick plug for OGCamp, which is the 19th and 20th of October this year in Manchester. Uh, do go to that. I'll be going. I think I'm the only one of us who's going because you lot are useless. I'm going. Ah, are you actually going then? Did you book anything? No, but I really do mean to go. I've, put, I've got a ticket. <laughs> it's on my calendar, but I just haven't got around to booking the accommodation. I'll be on somebody's floor. Yes, well, yeah, you can sleep on my floor or whatever. Um, yeah, so do go to that. Should be should be good. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com, 
and they are a Linux-based computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04 and 18.10. And they've got a huge range of laptops from affordable ones that are good for browsing and email and office tasks all the way up to huge powerhouses with even desktop components in them that you can do gaming, graphic design, 3D art, video editing, machine learning, all sorts. They've also got some desktops and servers and almost everything's configurable so you can tweak it to be exactly what you want. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for your needs, then do get in contact with them and they can sort you out a custom order. They're very approachable and great at communicating. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then at checkout, there's a little drop down. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So back in the day, you had a magazine, Graham, and your slogan was free software, free speech, which was all well and good. But that has kind of... uh, sort of collapsed a bit with the old polarization of politics and it's come to light in the last week or so. So Gab, which is the free speech social network kind of alternative to Twitter, and they switched from their own sort of proprietary backend to Mastodon or at least a fork of it. And so (laughs) Mastodon, the project, wasn't very impressed with that and so has basically taken steps to block Gab from their official applications and F-Droid pretty much kind of agreed with them and said, yeah, that's fine. You can have apps that will block the Gab domain or whatever. And so it's, it's kind of reignited this debate about free software and open source. Should there be limits on what you can do with it? And if people have got shitty politics, which is most people on Gab who are like really right wing and racist and shit, like should you be able to stop them using stuff now i'm guessing failing you're going to say yes you should be able to hang on what do you mean as in i should as in i think that people should be censored yeah because you're an authoritarian bastard yeah well i i don't i think there's no such thing as free speech without consequence i think i mean you can say whatever you want but i mean to assume that you can just continue to say whatever you want and there to be no consequence from potentially something dodgy that you've just said is ridiculous. I mean, that's the most naive nonsense I've ever heard in my life. And a lot of these people seem to be able to, of the opinion that you should be able to say, you know, quite dodgy things, uh, death threats, whatever, you know, that type of thing. And then say, oh no, it's free speech. It's like, well, is it of value to anybody? I think would be the main quotient for whether something should be protected in any way. Controversial things. I mean, if someone says, you know, I am being harassed by the government, blah, blah, blah. And yes, they are in fact true because they happen to have been in Myanmar or something like that prior to this and the junta was trying to kill them, then yes, that would seem to be a valid proposition. But being a white guy who doesn't like black guys, uh, that doesn't really count as free speech in my opinion. Well, it, you, you can you can say what you want, but you should have to deal with a consequence, the fact that it's a crime, you know, to be inciting hate or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I'm all for crushing the masses. Well, it's not the masses, is it? It's just crushing the right-wing bastards. Yeah, it's a very small mass. It's like, yeah. <laughs> My very personal philosophy is really not to give hate the oxygen that it needs to survive and that it needs to spread. Um, and I don't... Th- necessarily think that that attitude impinges on free speech um gab is completely free to be more popular than mastodon and you know 
and then be the default federated gateway for all of the their social network. Um, but this is, you know, I think the founder of Mastodon um, themselves said this is hanging on to the coattails of of Mastodon almost as a publicity exercise, and that's worth something more than free speech in a way. Um, and so I, I kind of agree as well. Um, it's not, it's not people. If they want to find Gab on their own Mastodon instance, they can, and that's they're not really being blocked from doing that. And also, the world's a very different place to when Twitter started. I remember being hugely optimistic about Twitter in the beginning. It was a brand new kind of, I don't want to say, it's like a paradigm. It was hugely interesting to see people communicate, as indeed the internet was, like in the 90s. Um, and, you know, we're all a bit older and wiser now, and I wouldn't necessarily agree to a completely open Twitter. In the, not, not that it should be closed, like, to block people, but in fact that it, it would be a more successful platform if it was implemented in a certain specific way that maybe promoted more positive interaction than like ne negative feedback loops, which I'm no longer interested in. Yeah, I think, um, well, probably on this show, in fact, I've said this before, but that the sort of people that are hanging out on Gab are, that they're given a voice by the internet. Without the internet, without social media, they would never have uh, a loud enough voice and they would never get organised and, and find each other. So, yeah, fuck them. Um, <laughs> if they want to go to Gab and organise themselves and have all of their horrible uh, discussions all in one place, then that's great because it makes it a lot easier for me to ignore. So that leaves the libertarian amongst us to reply, doesn't it, Joe? I'm not a libertarian. I might have a few libertarian leanings here and there, but... Uh, I, I'm I'm conflicted on this whole thing, really, because I feel like deep down I am a libertarian, and therefore I think that people should be free to do whatever they want. And there is a massive difference b between saying like really abhorrent stuff that doesn't like that, that's general. Let's say like all X type of people are thick or whatever, and you know pick whatever minority you want that doesn't like directly impact anyone doesn't directly hurt anyone it just makes you look stupid and therefore i've kind of always been of the opinion that you should be able to say what you want and that with free software it, it should be truly free you should be able to do whatever you want with it and th you probably shouldn't be blocking access to uh, one instance of mastodon that has got people whose politics you disagree with even stridently. Uh, there's, there's a big difference anyway between saying just abhorrent shit that doesn't affect anyone and let's go and kill this one individual person or let's go and beat them up or whatever because that's just illegal. Whereas in America, you can say all ex-minority people are thick or whatever and, and that's just free speech that's protected under their constitution, not so much here, but... But sure it is, but I mean, equally though, if you as you uh, go out with your real name and say those things, don't expect to have a job in the morning, most likely. Oh, of course. Whereas this has given people a protected wee enclave to shout abuse and stuff but without the actual realities of life involved uh, where they have to, you know, deal with consequences of saying that in public. Yeah, but 4chan's been doing that for like 10 years or whatever. It's a place for people to go and just be stupid. And... You know, that that's siloed off and you can just totally ignore it, like you say, Will. Um, the problem that we're having now is that Gab was siloed off, but now they're based on Mastodon and it's federated. 
you, you have potential interactions between that instance and other instances. And Mastodon has traditionally been very much the opposite of Gab in terms of it is very right on, it's very left-wing, whatever you want to call it, very progressive. And so you've just got this culture clash happening. And the, the problem is that free software shouldn't really do this. You know, you shouldn't limit the use of that free software. Do you use an ad blocker or do you use a spam list t- tool? Those do exactly the same thing. They filter bullshit off the internet. And that's exactly what Mastodon's doing. Right, yeah. And that's what I choose to use. I, I choose to install an ad blocker extension or host file generator or whatever. But that is not the cho- that's the choice of me. That's not the choice of the person who gave me the software. Now, bear in mind that I am conflicted on this, right? I'm somewhat playing devil's advocate there because I think that in these polarized times politically, it's getting dangerous now. And like, I never thought I'd say this, but like, maybe there is a too much free speech. You know, there, there, you can get to a point where there's too much free speech. And people saying horrible shit that isn't directly affecting someone else kind of stirs up that and that whole um, feeling and, and creates a feedback loop of hatred, which then ultimately leads to illegal shit being said and ultimately done. I mean, you only have to look at the incel movement for that, where you've got these, well, men, let's just say, shooting women because they've got some fucked up ideology um, that has come from this weird feedback loop of hanging out together. And that's kind of a broader problem with the internet, perhaps, that people will do that and just reinforce their own views and bubbles and all of that. But it just it keeps going back to this thing in my head of if if software is truly free, then it should be truly free. And once you start putting restrictions on it, it's, it's like saying that um, you can do whatever you want with the software, but you can't like be military or whatever. I mean, that is, you can't really do that and, and still call it free software. Well, you could take that software and fork it and then do what else, whatever you want with it, as long as it's in the terms of license and there's nothing stopping them. That They just want the free ride of someone else doing all the development and testing work of it. So, you know, they had their own thing and they obviously left that own version for a particular reason. I do think you're making a good point, Joe. I think if I'm thinking of it, trying to think about it like you, if this was infrastructure, so if this was a part of the internet that was gab, would we block off access to that part of the internet? And the answer is no. But I think that's because the the, the infrastructure of the internet isn't purpose-built for a certain kind of communication. It's just, but it's, it's, it's agnostic. It's truly agnostic in the way that you communicate across it. Whereas the problem that we have is that there isn't a real platform for free speech at all. However way you look at it, it's marketed as so many words, it's marketed for the people that communicate across it. And so we haven't found a solution that doesn't denigrate into this kind of um, toxic conversation. And arguing free speech isn't... They they can stand on Speaker's Corner if they want, or they can stand in any field in the country and say whatever they want. But they're capitalising on communications infrastructure that wasn't built to accommodate their type of speech. And I think that's fine. If I understand correctly, and and maybe I don't, it's not actually Mastodon that blocked it centrally, um, but it was some of the clients that blocked it centrally. In which case, is it not up to those client developers to block who they see fit? If their users are saying, we don't want to see this, 
Nazi right-wing propaganda, then please block it for us. Surely they are free to do that. Well, yes, but, and the but is, what if some of the users do want to connect to Gab? I mean, by all means, put an option in there to be able to do it, but it, it just feels like it's not properly free when you start doing that. But I suppose, you know, the freedom of the developer to do what you want and you can fork it and take that bit out or use a different client or whatever. And, you know, I have no desire to engage with Gab in any way, shape or form. I mean, I don't even use Mastodon because, you know, everyone's on Twitter and only a few people on Mastodon, whatever. But it, 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 I feel really conflicted. And I keep saying that because I, I do understand that there is a need to do something about this free speech movement, which has been just fucking hijacked by bastards who want to sort of hide behind free speech. But I don't want there to be the collateral damage of people who need to use free speech for non-shit reasons, if you know what I mean. And, and just stuff like this feels just too authoritarian to me somehow. Yeah, I, I see where you're going. I, I, I don't think I agree, though. Um, somebody has to be a gatekeeper here, I, in my opinion, to stop people having to put up with this shit. Um, and I think it's absolutely right that people who are developing popular applications should be free to block who they want to block. The trade-off being that if you don't want to be blocked by that person, then you don't have to use their app. And if you're so inclined, you could fork their code, remove those um, those patches, and you know build your own client. It'd be um, almost like changing your first name by deed poll to doctor. So I'd be Dr. Whiteley by just my first name being doctor. Um, I don't think I should be allowed to do that, even though it would be kind of funny. Um, I think someone has to be able to say no stop taking the piss and fuck off and uh you know i don't think anybody should have a free-for-all and stuff because that's what these guys want they want a free-for-all or you could go and found your own country you know your own resources and call yourself doctor there <laughs> yeah well that sealand guy can't me hold on to it forever <laughs> i just need more boats and it's mine what i'm about to say is not a joke right i was talking to a libertarian who genuinely believes that anybody should be able to set themselves up as a doctor and uh, if a few people die, well, fuck it, whatever. Like, the state shouldn't dictate who gets to call themselves a doctor. And, like, the free market will decide. Like, you pay to go and see this doctor, and he is shit. When the currency is people's lives, that's not a price people should be allowed to uh, pay for <laughs> figuring that out. It's the most naive thing I've heard in my life. Well, hence why I'm not a libertarian. I might have some leanings, as I said, but I'm not a proper libertarian because... You know, I also probably uh, don't think people should have guns, but uh, don't please don't write in Americans. Especially if you too studied at Hollywood Upstairs Medical School. <laughs> <laughs> You've tried the best, now try the rest. <laughs> I think we're making a good case for evolution sorting this out by letting them all live together somewhere on some small island. There we go. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, I would imagine we'll probably get quite a lot of feedback about this. Um, try and keep it civil, because if you just start attacking us, then we just don't read it. Uh, but I suppose we'd better get out of here then. So until next time, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Dr. Graham. <laughs> and I've been Will. <laughs> See you later.